Hi, Paul Scanlon here. Thanks for taking the time to click on my podcast. I want to spend time focusing on my primary passions of leadership, personal development, communication, growing big people, and I hope that these podcasts really help and add value to your life and to your journey. Thanks for tuning in. Well, the last couple of weeks, we have been learning a lot from, really, from the life of the man that was the cripple at the pool of Bethesda in John 5. And... uh, He's not here in person for us to thank him personally for the things we have learned from his life, no more than anyone else is in Scripture. This man, we don't even know his name, we just know his situation and the dilemma and the awful pain and misery he must have been in all of his life until the day Jesus released him from that bondage of that sickness, that disability that he had. And I say that because his suffering wasn't in vain, and I want you to know yours will never be either. It's amazing sometimes to look back on life and realize how many people you never knew learned from what you went through. And so what you're going through is not just about you, and not just about those that you think know, but many will learn, like we learned from his life, he never knew that that day Jesus walked into his life that 2,000 years later... Around the world, people would still be talking about him, still be learning from his life. And one day in heaven, I want to meet people like this that I've talked about for years and shake their hand and say, thank you for all the sermons you gave me. Thank you for all the people you helped with what happened in and through your life. And I no doubt people will do the same to you when they meet you in heaven and you to others. That's one of the things amongst the millions of things that will make heaven such an interesting, exciting, different place. We've learned from this man to look for the treasure within us instead of always looking to the pool, as it were, or to the prayer line for the fix and the breakthrough. Jesus said to him, get up and go home, which made him have to look within himself instead of looking to the pool for the miracle. We've learned that we are not the tin man or the scarecrow or the lion praying those kind of prayers to a God that in our mind we have made the Wizard of Oz. We have learned to look within for the heart and the courage, and the brains that those three individuals thought rested in the hands and the control of the great Wizard of Oz. And they didn't. They were already within them. They just needed some adversity and challenge for them to bump into themselves and find out the brilliance that God had placed inside each one of them, which is the same for every one of us. We learned last week about the law of reversed effort, that when you have a desire to do something, then imagine how hard it will be. You lose desire and you go back and stay in the situation you're in because the imagination seems so intimidating. And so we stay with the desire, frustrated in that desire, because we have convinced ourselves it will be impossible for us to do that for whatever reason. There's one more thing I want us to learn from this man's life. And that is this, that our resources are in our relationships. Now that is not a new concept. I've taught that here to you guys before. Of course there are many new people here and so on that will not be familiar with that teaching but I'm sure it's out there somewhere uh, in the the bookshop, resource shop. But the simple principle, and I I spoke it again recently when I taught you on uh, living a a collaborative life, that, that our resources are not in our resources. Our resources are not money and things and possessions. Our, our true resources are in people. And if we build a relationally rich life, then there's always someone that will have what you need. Often, often what we need 
is in someone. It's not that we need to work to make that another part of our life. We need to just find people because we all are limited with time and money. And when you run out of time and money and ideas, you can't kill yourself to get more time. We only, only have 24 hours a day and we only have so much financial resources and mental resources, but when you begin to get to the edge of your capacity, the idea isn't to push a little bit more and burn out, but to find more people, because all the time and the money and the ideas in the world are inside people. And when you're maxing out your resource, you can then rely on others to come in where you're tired and where you're maxed out, and now share their resources, which is the whole idea of what we do in the church here. That your ideas and your strength and your energy and your volunteering and your love and your involvement in what we're doing and your finances and your showing up and your support of what we're doing, all of us together can make a massive difference as Dave was saying earlier. Our resources are in our relationships. And I say that because the man that we're dealing with in John 5 said to Jesus, I can't get to the pool because I have a problem. And my problem is I have no one, I have no relationships in my life. I have no one to help me to get into the pool which suggested that others did and they had the advantage over him because when it came to the angels stirring the waters, whatever that looked like, others were able to get to the pool earlier than him because they had relationships and those relationships provided the resource of movement and transportation into the pool. He said, I don't have that. I've seen others with it. I've watched the benefit of it. I don't know why he didn't have that, but he didn't have that in his life. And so he said, that's the reason why I can't get my miracle. I'm here. I'm close, I come here every day, I'm diligent, I desire this miracle, I have faith for a miracle, I believe my time will come one day, but I have no one to help me, suggesting if I had a resource, that, if I had a relationship that brought that resource to my life, I think I'd have been out of here by now. <clears throat> Contrast him with the guy in Mark 2, that was brought on a stretcher, a paralyzed man, that was brought on a stretcher by his friends to get his miracle from Jesus. We'll read, and I'm going to read to you from Mark 2, verse 1. I'm sure, again, you're familiar with the story. It says, The people gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on through the roof. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of all of them. Wow. The man at the pool told Jesus, I have no help. But this man that was also disabled with a paralysis that meant that he was, <clears throat> couldn't even move, maybe in a way that the man at the pool could. We don't know the nature of his disability, but he obviously needed to be moved, lying down in a lying down position. This was the days, of course, before all the, all the modern helps that are available now, wheelchairs and crutches and so on. And, so maybe they cobbled something together that, 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 that get him to Jesus. But the man heard Jesus was in town or his friends did. And four people, four, I think two could have carried a stretcher. 
but he had four. Maybe he had lots of friends. Maybe he had lots of relationships, lots of resources. But he clearly built a relational rich life. For four people to volunteer to carry him, however far it was, however difficult the journey, he could have, he could have laid there on his bed at home, hearing Jesus was in town, and, de- and desired a miracle, and then imagine how impossible it would have been to get there, like the man at the pool of Bethesda did. He imagined how impossible it would be to get into the pool. <clears throat> but sometimes the reason why we can't get our desire fulfilled or our dreams accomplished or our breakthrough achieved isn't only because we may have a desire problem or that may not be the issue. But it's often because we, we simply don't have people in our world that can make a difficult thing seem easy. These four people carried this man to the house and when they got there, imagine the disappointment because as they're approaching the house, not only is the house full, but the people are looking through the windows and the doors. They couldn't even get near the house, never mind in the presence of Jesus. Imagine, imagine the disappointment in the mind and the heart of the guy on the stretcher who maybe already imagined how difficult this might be. They've got this far. Now, what happens at this point is crucial in all of our lives because you either sit there and have a discussion and, and if you are school one, will of God people, which is characterized by we don't do anything without God's guidance, you would assume perhaps it's not God's will for me to meet Jesus today and maybe we'll come back another day, at least we tried, at least we got this far, at least God saw that we were genuinely had a desire, but we are going to go home and we'll try another day. That would have been an option, wouldn't have made them bad people, I doubt we'd have ever heard of them in history. And maybe there were others that came that day that saw that the place was packed and decided to go home. We never heard of them. We only know about this man. We don't even know his name, no more than the guy at the pool. But we only know about this man, unlike the, unlike the pool episode, where Jesus enters the man's life and Jesus puts him on the map. This man's friends put him on the map. He hadn't even met Jesus yet. And so they must have had a discussion about their options. And they must have said, do we go home? Do we wait to another day? Do we decide it wasn't to be? Do we try to be positive? Do we try to encourage him? Do we pray for him ourselves? Do we, what do we do? They must have had that discussion. But I have a question that has always fascinated me when I read about this, and I think that's why it's left unclear for us to fascinate. Who in the world was the first one to suggest, I know what we'll do? We will vandalize the roof. Who, who amongst those four, or maybe it was the guy on the mat, who amongst those four said, we are not going to take no for an answer. We are going to do something that is bordering on criminal we're going to go on the roof. I assume the roof's made of stuff that you can dig through, obviously. But, but they're not just going to dig. They're not just going to dig a hole. You've got to dig a big hole to get a man on a stretcher through. And then you've got to find ropes to lower him down. Did they, did they arrive with ropes? Was there, a, 
Was there a rope shop nearby? Was there, a, was there someone with a donkey parked up with ropes on it as part of what they traded in? I don't know, but someone looked around, looked at the roof. There was no people on the roof. There were people at the windows and the door, but the roof was empty. Saw the space, had an idea, looked around for resources to make it happen. And someone suggested this, and I want you to learn from this man's life on the stretcher. Not only that your resources are in your relationships, but within your relationships, you have to have someone that's crazy. I'm serious. You have to have crazy people in your life. Because on days like this, it's only someone crazy that will take it to the next level. On days like this, you don't want sane. Sane is overrated when it comes to getting a breakthrough. And it's getting harder and harder to be crazy in a world that celebrates reason and normality and beige over anybody that would think or attempt or suggest outside of the box of what goes as normal around here. No one in history, as far as we know, certainly in Bible history, did that before or did it since. So these people certainly deserve some recognition today for ingenuity. But my point is at the point of turning back, at the point of disappointment, at the point of desire and imagination colliding and desire being reversed, what stopped it being reversed was a crazy person that said, let's not go back and let's not wait and let's not hope we get a chance later. Let's do something that no one else is going to do in this crowd. No one else here with sick people will think of doing for those other sick people parked outside that can't get in. We are, going to, we are going to get you to Jesus. Don't worry. We're going to get you to Jesus today. And the paralyzed man writer said, well, how do you mean? How is that possible? You can see that the, the doors are crowded. The house is full. And those said to him, maybe they didn't tell him. <laughs> maybe they didn't tell him. Maybe they just said, you know, just bear with us a moment or two. But when he's going up the stairs on the stretcher, he must have thought, aye, aye, something's not quite normal here. But all the normal thinking people are waiting for a miracle. So crazy got them on the roof. How many crazy people are in your world? Now I, I don't mean I don't mean insane in terms of mental asylum insane when I talk about crazy and insane, so don't don't misread me now. When you read the word crazy in the dictionary, it says insane, unbalanced, mental asylum is the kind of language it uses in the dictionary. But it also says this, extremely enthusiastic about something. That's the definition of crazy in the dictionary. People that are extremely enthusiastic about something, the dictionary says... Could, re could reasonably be called crazy people. Or, it says, someone or something appearing absurdly out of place, almost unlikely. I love it. The problem is enthusiasm about something, or something being out of place or appearing absurd, can appear insane kind of crazy, instead of good kind of crazy, to others that step 
aside and watch that who have never done a crazy thing in their life. Some of us were raised and many of us were raised in families and churches where anything crazy, and that was most things, were outlawed. And so we therefore build responsible, beige, normal, stand outside the door while the rest get a breakthrough lives, celebrating our consistency, our normality, our safeness. And while we're doing that and celebrating that with all the rest that can't get a miracle, the crazy people are on the roof in front of Jesus, getting a breakthrough and walking past you on the way out, carrying their stretcher. You have to ask, which would I rather be? And if you don't know any crazy people, and I've got to tell you, they're few and far between. It's getting harder and harder to be crazy. So you're going to have to look for crazy people. People that think outside the box. People, roof people. Roof people. People that have a roof digging idea. They exist. They're rare. They're hard to find. Usually when you find them, there's a cue to bother them in your life. You know, if I can convince you that, that someone's crazy in a negative way, I can get them isolated from what God brought them to bring into our lives by convincing you they're crazy, they're wild, they're not to be trusted, they're going to get you in trouble, they're dangerous people. And we've done that for generations in the church. So that when anybody steps up and says, I think this is an idea, or I think this is a different way to approach it, and one of the peers or speaks or has a style that's different. I mean, there was nobody, nobody more crazy than John the Baptist. Talk about crazy. He looked crazy. He sounded crazy. He behaved crazy. He dressed crazy. He ate crazy. He smelled crazy. When you read about John the Baptist, you think, well, he was the forerunner of Jesus. Yeah, but you know what? You wouldn't want him in your church. He'd be the guy sat on his own at the back with all seats empty around him. He would. He'd be like, even in his day, when I'm sure it still wasn't fashionable to wear a loincloth and of camel's hair. Must have been uncomfortable too, eh? And, and have the diet that he, that he... I mean, it's like celebrity get me out of the jungle was a normal day for John the Baptist's diet. He just ate locusts all day and some wild honey occasionally to keep his sugar up. And then he preached with wild eyes and with this passion. He was extremely enthusiastic. He appeared absurdly out of place and he appeared so unlikely. But he was God's crazy man. He was the man that would make a way for Jesus because, because every pioneer that's ever pioneered anything that matters in the world has always been a bit crazy. The greatest things, the greatest breakthroughs the world has ever seen in all spheres of life have always been pioneered and spearheaded by crazy people. People that are extremely enthusiastic, who appear absurdly out of place or unlikely in that setting where history found them. And in that place, they arose to this, this roof-digging mentality to get something done that the rest of the crowd couldn't get done, didn't see how it could be done, and thousands had walked away and left it alone. But these crazy people stepped up in history. They still are. We still need them to because there's many, many things in our world that will not get solved and will not get a breakthrough and will not see progress and will not go to the next level without somebody crazy getting involved in our relationships. How sane was Abraham? 
How sane was Moses? How sane was Noah? Talk about crazy. I mean, we are talking Premier League crazy with Noah. Building a boat because it's going to rain when no one's seen rain. I mean, not just building a dinghy, but building a, a cruise liner. Took him 80 years almost to build it. So it's not like you could miss it. It is the talk of the neighborhood, the talk of the country, the talk of the area. And every single day, when, when reasonable conversations took place from intelligent people that were telling him the truth, it doesn't rain. What do you mean by rain? It doesn't rain. What's rain? Why are you building, why are you building a boat for something none of us have ever seen? It was a reasonable conversation. But the Bible says in Hebrews 11 that Moses... That, that Noah received this word from God and began to build this ark, calling things that are not as though they are. That's crazy. But that's God kind of crazy. And history has been made in all spheres of life by people that will call things and see things and reach for things and believe for things that are not as though they are. And the longer you do that with no support, the more difficult it is to sustain that. Because the rest of the reasonable people keep telling you every day when they come around, any rain yet, Noah? Didn't think so. And imagine that day in, day out for a month, but imagine it after 10 years, 20 years. Those that were teasing you at the beginning have now died and gone. Now you're, on, now you're in generational teasing. Now their kids and their grandkids are all growing up to be your taunters. And so, so Noah had to, had to sustain extreme enthusiasm and appearing absurdly out of place for, for decades, not just for a few moments. Some of us are afraid even to appear outside the box for a few seconds in the company we keep. But I tell you, you can sit outside the house all your life, but Jesus is not going to come to you. But you can go to him. <laughs> How crazy was Joseph? How crazy was Ruth? How crazy was Nehemiah? How crazy was David? Well, I know I've no training in war. I know I'm not a warrior. I know I'm only a teenager. I know this guy's nine foot tall and a trained killing machine. But I'll tell you what, let me at him. I'll just take the sling and the old stones, you know, just, I know I'm a shepherd boy, I don't want no, no one knows me, I have no CV, I know you're trying to put me in your armor and I can't move around in it, I know everybody thinks this is crazy, equals insane to them, but David was not crazy insane, he was crazy enthusiastic, he was crazy absurdly out of place, in a place where all the trained normal people couldn't change the circumstances, they desired to be free of Goliath. But the, uh, their imagination reversed that desire when they imagined being killed by him. But it says that David ran towards him telling him about his future. He said, I'm going to take your head off today, then after you, I'm going to go after all of them. He says that as he's running towards him. So you know David's feeling something different in his self-talk. His imagination is this day ends with you dead and me alive and all your buddies running down the street scared for their life. Crazy people think like that. And you're going to come to things in your life and ceilings in your life and walls in your life and places in your life where, where, where what you did before will not get you where you need to go next. 
And, and you might have a different word for what I'm telling you today. That's fine. My word for it is crazy. You need to look around for some crazy. Either in you or in someone else. Or if you are crazy, then we need to know. Because someone's looking for you. Sometimes, that's you. I, I know that's for you for sure. You should have been locked up years ago. You can tell when you're with crazy people because their eyes are alive. And as you're talking to them, they can see they're going about, about other ways to do what you say can't be done. And they'll say to you, have you ever thought of? And you're like, oh, no, not really. And the very thought makes you go, oh, not really. You're in the presence of a crazy person. <clears throat> they're telling you, let's go dig a hole in the roof. And you're thinking, well, is that legal? Um, are we going to be in trouble? Are we going to be embarrassed? Are we going to drop? Are we going to drop a paralyzed man on the way down who's already paralyzed? <laughs> There's no guarantees if you go with crazy, but most of us want every every I dotting and T crossing. But you know, yeah. it's because you've never been desperate enough. Yeah. When you get to this point in life where you're desperate, I tell you something: you'll try crazy. This guy's desperate. He's been, he's been a paralytic all his life. He, he's desperate. And he gets to the house and he can't get any further. And desperation kicks in. And all the guys around him felt that and said to him, we are not going to let this day end with us going back home and you not getting your miracle. And you have another night paralyzed when we're this close to Jesus. We are going to do this. And so they, they get on the roof and they begin to do this thing. And while they're digging a hole in the roof, Normal people, that's why they didn't take a crowd up on the roof with them, would have stood around saying, right, want all your names. Want all your names, all your addresses. Come on, I'm going to report you all to the local constable. You'll all be in jail tonight. This is someone's roof. This is private property. This is vandalism. It's the same deal as it would be now. It wasn't their house. And, and if you're inside the house where Jesus is preaching, they, they, they figured out, Ooh, he stood about there, we think. Let's start digging here. Let's, what do you, the debris must have been falling for ages. So in front of Jesus, the debris is falling. <laughs> it's not that you couldn't notice it. The debris is falling while they're digging a big enough hole. Then they're taking their time to tie on the ropes. Then you can hear them all having a conversation. But I do it, you know, to me, to you. Left a bit, right a bit. The guy in the stretcher going... Oh my God, you must be kidding. I'm already paralyzed. As they bantered with each other, whether Jesus carried on preaching, knowing, you know, they could have thought Jesus is going to be angry. They could have thought he's a religious leader. He's going to tell us you are irresponsible. This, is, this man loaned me his home to preach in. And, and, and now the consequence of having me in his home is his roof is destroyed. What is he going to think of the church after this? What's he going to think of people that follow me when my followers trash buildings? Yeah. So they could have thought, well, is Jesus, when I get there, going to say, excuse me, you, you need to get in the queue like anyone else. There are people here sicker than you that came earlier than you. You were late. And if you'd have come on time, you had four people to help you. You're all late. Is he going to do that to us? What you find in Scripture with Jesus is he never, ever had a problem with people that, that used ingenuity yeah. and were creative yeah. to get his attention. Yeah. He never had an issue with that. He, he kind of celebrated it. Yeah. He thought, I, because he understood, Jesus understood desperate. Yeah. And he understood that many people will never get a miracle because they've never felt what it is 
to be so desperate that I, will, I cannot go another day, another year, another month. And so they're willing to entertain something crazy. And the day you entertain something crazy, maybe your situation will have a new light shed on it. Maybe a new door will open, a new possibility will dawn on you with the, with the, with the introduction in your life of the roof-digging people. How many crazy people do you know? You might say myself, number one. Well, that's good. But you know, sometimes you can be, you can be crazy, but sometimes you're the one on the mat. So you need other crazy. Sometimes you're the one that, that's desperate and you need some help. And you're crazy to someone else's world sometimes, but today you're the one on the mat. You're the one that needs help. You're the one that needs the four friends and one of them to suggest. I don't know if one of them suggested or they all suggested or one said yes and the other three argued. I don't know what happened there. I just know in normal relationships, it'd be very rare to get everybody to say, yeah, that's a brilliant idea. Let's go destroy the roof. And if you think you've been subtle and secret, when it's all the debris starts falling, and then the man starts lowering down on a stretcher, and all the crowd are like, you've lost the crowd. You can lose the crowd in here with a cell phone going off. Never mind a, a body coming down through the roof on a stretcher. And as the man gets lowered and lowered and lowered down, and he gets right in front of Jesus, Jesus just said to himself, he must have thought, how awesome is this? I think this is great. I could do it with you guys in my team. If my team could learn from some of you guys. And he said to the guy, you know what? Get up. Take your bed and go home. And he didn't go home through the roof. He walked out the front door carrying that mat. And I tell you what. All the sane people outside had some new thoughts that day. All the same people went on thinking, why didn't we think of that? Why didn't you think of that, Jock? Why didn't you think of that, Mark? You, you went with me today. That, that guy, I know that guy. I've been, I've, been, I've been sick longer than him. And he's not a nice person anyway. I deserve. This has nothing to do with deserve. You get in a miracle that has nothing to really deserve. It's all to do with faith. And, and whether you believe, and whether you're willing to be crazy a little bit, and press the envelope a little bit. That's <laughs> a difficult thing to talk about in many parts of the world is this, in play it safe, conservative, beige, religious contexts. But I've looked at my own life in the past, and I've longed for some days for a crazy person to talk to. Some that I could say, this is in my heart, what, what do you think? And, and then not freak out, not melt down, not, yeah. whoa. We just say, yeah, and have you thought of this? Yeah. And add to my craziness. And within, within moments in the conversation, we're both digging a hole yeah. somewhere to get access to something because we couldn't go through the door and we couldn't get through the window because others were crowding those areas. Yeah. But we thought there's another way to approach this. I don't know, it's not in my point of reference, but maybe it's in yours. Yeah. Uh, most of us are far too sane to win, yeah. to get a breakthrough, 
to resolve a problem, to stand out. And you'll never appreciate crazy until you're the guy in the stretcher. And you've been there, and some of you will be there in the future. I pray for an increase of crazy in our church and in our world. The good kind of crazy I'm telling you about today. Hey guys, just want to let you know about a resource that I'm making available to everyone called Aging Well. It is a video series, almost 11 hours in length, over 60 videos. And it covers aging well in five areas. Aging well physically, mentally, emotionally, relationally, and generationally. It has an ebook that goes with it. It also has a Q&A and workbook that comes with it. I think you guys are going to find a real addition to your personal growth investment. I hope you'll enjoy it. You're going to find it at gbpacademy.com.